Hello friends! In 2010, Disney released one of its most beloved fairy tale retellings. Tangled is an adaptation of the tale of Rapunzel, and with its interweaving storylines, beautiful animation, lovable characters and gorgeous soundtrack, a masterpiece was born for both young and old alike. However, what makes Tangled especially effective is its rich employment of symbols, especially in how it portrays human relationships, both at their best and at their very worst. Today we'll explore some of these in depth, finishing at the end with how the untangling of Eros, or passionate human love, points us to God and brings us into union with Him. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. So for those who haven't seen Tangled in a while, here is the story in summary. In the prologue, a drop of sunlight falls from the sky and produces a magical flower with healing properties. An old woman, Gothel, finds it and uses it to restore the beauty of her youth. Centuries later, however, the flower is found and taken by soldiers for the kingdom of Corona and used to save the life of their pregnant and sick queen, who then gives birth to Princess Rapunzel. Gothel sneaks into the castle, however, and discovers that Rapunzel's hair has actually inherited the flower's magical properties. But when she tries to cut a lock off for herself, she realises the hair turns powerless. To keep the flower's magic going, Gothel kidnaps baby Rapunzel and raises her in a hidden tower in the woods. As long as she could have access to her hair, Gothel would retain her beauty. Years pass, and each year, on Rapunzel's birthday, the saddened king and queen release floating lanterns into the sky, hoping that one day they will guide their lost princess home. Rapunzel grows up, and when we meet her again, she's 18. She is bright, cheery, creative, and innocent about life outside the tower. A little like how Frollo treated the hunchback of Notre Dame, Gothel had convinced Rapunzel that the outside world was dangerous and that she should stay where it was safe and to obey her every word. Rapunzel does. But no matter what she does to pass the days, she cannot suppress the desire to see the floating lanterns every birthday, as if they were calling to her. Then by chance, a rogue thief named Flynn Ryder stumbles across the tower and climbs it. He had stolen the royal crown from the palace, and had then betrayed his own fellow thieves and run off with it alone. When he makes it to the top of the tower, Rapunzel attacks him with her iconic fry pan, and when he is knocked out, she hides the crown. When he comes to, she is initially suspicious of him, but Rapunzel makes a deal with him that she would return the crown if he would take her to see the floating lanterns. So they set off on Rapunzel's first adventure leaving the tower, all the while with her feeling remorse for disobeying Mother Gothel. There are many adventures they go on, such as befriending all the rough pub folk at the Snuggly Duckling, escaping the Stabbington brothers and running away from a very dutiful military horse, Maximus. 
The iconic scene takes place on the evening of her 18th birthday, when both Flynn and Rapunzel sit on a boat on a lake to watch the floating lanterns coming from the palace. Insert the song, I See the Light. The couple realise what their hearts have been longing for all this time, and both realise how much they mean to each other. However, Mother Gothel sets up a sinister plan to make it look like Flynn had used Rapunzel, and that he didn't really love her and only wanted the stolen crown back. Shattered and heartbroken, lying in bed, Rapunzel suddenly has an epiphany, realising she had subconsciously incorporated the kingdom's symbol, a golden sun, into her artwork throughout her life. Finally realising that she was the lost princess, she boldly confronts Gothel, declaring she would never allow her to use her hair again. Flynn, who we now know's real name is Eugene, <laughs> arrives at the tower and calls to Rapunzel. Her hair is lowered down, but climbing up, he finds that Gothel had had Rapunzel chained and gagged. Gothel stabs Eugene from behind, a soon-to-be-fatal wound, and then attempts to drag Rapunzel away, but she angrily resists. However, Rapunzel promises to stay forever as Gothel's prisoner if she would be allowed to heal Eugene with her magic hair. Gothel reluctantly agrees to do so, but Eugene, realising that Rapunzel would spend the rest of her life in captivity, suddenly cuts off most of her hair before she can heal him. A horrified and infuriated Gothel suddenly ages rapidly and then falls out from the high tower to her death, turning to dust. Rapunzel now mourns the inevitable death of Eugene, but one of her tears, which still has some of the flower's magic, actually heals his stab wound and revives him. In the aftermath, Rapunzel is finally reunited with her birth parents and the kingdom celebrates. At the right time, Rapunzel and Eugene eventually marry and live happily ever after. Amen. Now that's the end of the story, but for big Tangled fans, I know I've left out Pascal, Rapunzel's pet chameleon, but as he's more comic relief than any story element, I've omitted him for brevity's sake. Sorry, Pascal. Okay. So, the rest of this episode will be divided into two parts. Firstly, will be a meditation on St. John Paul II's rich exploration of lust and love. And the second part will be a meditation on the famous floating lanterns scene, unveiling what Eros is really seeking once the fog is lifted. Oh, get it? You know, what inspired me to write this episode on Tangled was actually a Theology of the Body intensive course I've been doing over the last few weeks with the Theology of Body Institute in America. St. John Paul II's rich civilization-saving teaching on the meaning of the human person and life and destiny is profound indeed, and I'm near certain that fruits of this course will pop up in later episodes. But one particular teaching that struck me was his contrasting between the nature of love and lust. Unlike how we normally think, these are not fundamentally bodily desires, but rather attitudes of the heart. St. John Paul II writes that the opposite of love isn't hatred, rather it is the using of another person. Lust, rather than just being reduced to something purely sexual, is an attitude of the heart which seeks to take from another merely for one's own indulgence. This is in contrast to love, which is the giving of ourselves to another, even at great personal cost, like Christ on the cross. Far from being just a feeling, love is fundamentally a choice, an attitude of the heart, which seeks to empty oneself rather than to take. 
This reflection on the nature of lust and love gave me great pause as I reflect on my own relationships in my life and my heart attitude towards people in general. This is where the relationship imagery offered by Tangle suddenly came to mind. See, the three main characters, Mother Gothel, Rapunzel and Flynn, personify the key archetypes between love and lust. Mother Gothel is by far one of the best personifications of lust because she uses Rapunzel exclusively for her hair while shunning her dignity altogether. Rapunzel is a personification of love for she always gave of herself for the well-being of others, even unlovable people like her mother and the common bandit Flynn and the thugs at the pub. And then Flynn Rider represents the transformative journey of one who begins the story operating out of the attitude of lust until by the end of the story he has fully embodied the nature of self-giving love. As we now look at each character in more detail, remember that I am speaking of love and lust not in the usual sexualized relationship sense, but rather as attitudes of the heart, as described by St. John Paul II. First, let's start with Mother Gothel, who in my opinion is one of the most loathsome villains of all the Disney baddies. Not because she's like obviously evil, but because she's so subtle in how she goes about it. She secretly kidnaps an infant, is emotionally abusive, employs gaslighting, lies, betrays everyone, and even attempts murder. If we take the definition of lust as the using of another, then Mother Gothel totally fits the profile. Most obviously, she uses Rapunzel for her own purposes to stay young and beautiful, exploiting her hair while having zero care for her actual well-being. She also uses the Stabbington brothers, then abandons them once Rapunzel had been delivered. Interestingly, I always found the scene of her death particularly striking in that the cause of her demise was actually her sort of caving in on herself. As she gazes into the fractured mirror, she couldn't bear to see the ugliness of the person she really was, and so she smothers her face with her hood, falls out the window and disintegrates into ashes before she hits the ground. This meant that she was already dead inside. What's the message here? In the great paradox of the scriptures, it's those who try and seize in this lifetime that will end up empty, while those who empty themselves in this lifetime will become filled. Let's turn now to Rapunzel, who in contrast to Gothel is the archetype of love, which in St. John Paul II's language is the giving of oneself to another. Despite a litany of other Disney princesses, I think that one of the reasons why Tangled is such a fan favourite is because she actually is very lovable. While a little ditzy and naive, Rapunzel is pure of heart and only ever wants the best of the people she meets. While exemplifying courage and strong will at times, she starts off the movie a bit like Eve in Eden before the fall, before she has her eyes open to the nature of good and evil. Her goodness is particularly evident in the way she treats Mother Gothel and Flynn. If we put aside the fact that she was totally set up by Gothel, Rapunzel sought to be unconditionally loving towards her, honouring her mother and putting herself second, always trusting that the other people in the world were as good as her. Her goodness towards Flynn is not just evident in their romantic love, but in her believing in his redemption. Remember that Flynn is a bandit, a thief, who didn't really care for anyone else at the start. But she saw into his heart and refused to believe Gothel's accusation about him trying to use her to get the crown. 
By the end of the film, of course, she was willing to offer her entire life for another, in order for a chance to bring Flynn back to life. As such, she most perfectly embodies Christ on the cross, who also gave up his entire life so that others may be brought back to life. The third character is Flynn slash Eugene Fitzherbert, who journeys from an attitude of lust into an attitude of love. Flynn starts off as a bad guy, a thief, a betrayer of his fellow bandits, and also quite manipulative through his natural charm. Even when he meets Rapunzel, he sought to befriend her as a means to an end to re-obtain the stolen crown. But unlike Gothel, he is open enough to allow Rapunzel's character to awaken something in him. As he spends more time with her, he renounces the pursuit of the crown, makes peace with Maximus and Pascal, and even his own past. Then of course, he was also willing to sacrifice his own life for Rapunzel in order to spare her a lifetime of slavery to Gothel, and in doing so also exemplifying the self-giving love of Christ on the cross. A brief detail here to finish. Lust is always an attitude of seizing and snatching at something rather than receiving it as a gift. Hence, I appreciate the detail of how when Flynn was willing to let go of snatching at the crown, he actually obtains it in the end. After all, we know that he eventually marries Rapunzel and thus becomes royalty anyway, with riches far beyond the price of a gold trinket. In reality, dear friends, most of our relationships are neither purely loving or purely lustful, but rather contain degrees of both. Yet, if we pay close attention to what's going on in our hearts, we might discover incredible freedom in noticing which way it is orienting. I have found it a very worthwhile prayer exercise to reflect on this, perhaps with the circle of people you most frequently interact with. Hmm. There's a practical pilgrim exercise for you when you finish this episode. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. I now want to do a meditation on the floating lantern scene. What makes this scene so beautiful? Let's shift metaphors now away from the theological lens of lust and love and put on instead the lens of salvation and redemption. Allow me to be a bit of a mystic for the rest of this episode and propose how the imagery of baptism is all over this scene on multiple levels. Like in the sacrament of baptism, there is in the scene water, there's light, there's a reclaiming of true identity, entry into a kingdom, and even a Christ figure who leads the protagonist from a place of slavery to a place of freedom. Even the boat is an ancient symbol of the church. Note that the story of Rapunzel embodies the classical royalty in exile theme that is all over classical fairy tales like Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty and the Beast and Lion King. As mentioned in previous episodes, the reason why this theme is so reoccurring is because it captures humanity's greatest yearning, to leave our exile of sin and to return to the place we were destined for, the kingdom of heaven. So much of Rapunzel's story is about this yearning, this ache that she can never get rid of. It's the ache some of us may have felt, how nothing in this world can ever seem to satisfy us. 
again returning to that recent Theology of the Body course I was doing, we learned that one of St. John Paul II's key missions was the redemption of eros, with eros being the Greek word that is often used to describe passionate bodily love, from which we get the word erotic. However, the word eros, like the word lust, must not be reduced to just something sexual. Rather, true eros is a God-given desire to seek union, absolute union with another. Once redeemed, eros can become the rocket engines that fire us towards God himself. While it is usually beautifully expressed in marital union, eros is far more than that, for even the marital union itself is but a sacrament of our union with God. Now, Tangled isn't exactly the theology of the body, but through Rapunzel it does capture this desire to reunite with the kingdom that we were born for. Like the floating lanterns every year on her birthday, Jesus, the true light of the world, beckons us to his family, and we remain restless until we heed the call. And how do we do this? Well, Jesus proposes the first entryway is baptism. I love the fact that the floating lanterns are released every year on Rapunzel's birthday because the church actually recognizes that baptism is our true birthday, for on that day we are born again into the kingdom of God. So there's a big baptism detail already. Then there's the thousands of lights floating off and illuminating the night. Recall that baptisms traditionally take place at the Easter Vigil, a ceremony which begins in pure darkness until the first light is lit by the priest, the paschal candle, from which other candles are lit one by one, slowly spreading until the entire church is filled with light. This is totally like the lantern scene, which is lit by the king and queen first, which becomes the cue for all the other lights to be lit and released into the night. Like the candles at the Easter Vigil, these lanterns are ultimately a sign of hope, hope that one day their lost princess would return home. In the same way, the Easter Vigil candles symbolizes the hope won by Christ on the cross, and that we too, if we follow the light, may one day come home. But wait, there's more. There's a magnificent detail that the animators put into the scene that is probably better watched than described. Because Rapunzel and Flynn are sitting on a boat on a lake, when the lanterns start floating into the sky, the reflections of the lanterns in the water make it look like the boat is actually flying, or at least suspended in mid-air. This scene suddenly becomes surreal and otherworldly, as if the two characters have left the earth and are now floating off into the spiritual realm. This blurring between the physical and spiritual is again totally like the sacrament of baptism, where earthly signs of water and light and oil lift the veil to the spiritual realm of rebirth and God and the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? It is rather mystical, but I can't help feeling that the Disney writers must have at least be unconsciously employing Christian imagery in order to make this scene as magical as it is. Yes, this scene and the song, At Last I See the Light, is a glorious love song in itself between Flynn and Rapunzel. But in the vision of St. John Paul II, even our love songs unveil where Eros is really pointing. God, our one true desire. On that note, dear friends, I wish you well. Journey forth, take care, and God bless.